Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Merrimack men's hockey team will open the season officially this weekend against Arizona State. They played Sacred Heart in an exhibition game last weekend, but this weekend is the official start to the season. Uh, the Warriors are out in Tempe, Arizona. I think they're staying right next to the Arizona State Sun Devils football stadium. Great part, of, by the way, of, of that campus. I was out there like 20 years ago. It was awesome. Uh, but Arizona State and Merrimack will open the season this weekend. Friday night will be game one. 10 p.m. Eastern time, and then Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time uh, are the game times for that one. So if you're trying to watch the games or, or follow along, uh, it's 10 p.m. Eastern on Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Both games are streaming online through the Arizona State website. Uh, they they streamed their exhibition game for free last week against the University of Arizona club team, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, so I, I think these games stream for free through ASU's website. They didn't charge for the exhibition. Uh, from what I could see this week, it didn't look like they they charged for the stream. Uh, but I, I'm not 100% sure. But that, that's where you'll be able to find the game if you want to watch. Uh, uh, both of them will be through Arizona State's website. You go to the hockey schedule page on their website, and then there'll be a link there to watch the game. I'll also have a link to the stream when I post the lineups uh, before the game on Friday and Saturday as well. So you can click the link right from our site if that's easier. But yeah, Merrimack and Arizona State follow, uh, open the season this weekend. A lot to talk about. Uh, Merrimack with some injury news. Alex Jeffries didn't make the trip this weekend. Uh, he was banged up with uh, what was termed a lower body injury. Uh, they they seem hopeful that it's not going to be a long-term thing. Uh, Scott Borg did say that he was going to undergo some testing just to make sure. Uh, but I, I think there was there was hope that it would not be a long-term injury. Uh, it did not happen in the exhibition game last week. Last week, Alex played in the exhibition game last week and played very well. Uh, but it was not in that game. I guess something happened in practice uh, this week in the lead-up to the Arizona State Series. So he did not make the trip. Uh, obviously, hope he's back soon. He's going to be a big part of what this team can do over the course of this year. Uh, Nikita Bordayenko also did not make the trip. He was sick, and they couldn't get him on the plane, obviously. Didn't want to travel with him uh, with the flu or whatever it was. Uh, and then Michael Brown also, as who we know, uh, was going to be out for a little bit. We reported on that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he'll be out this weekend as well. And Bork also said that Trevor Greibel is questionable uh, for for the weekend. He's still a little banged up. Uh, the good news is, though, is Ben Brar was not in that injury report. <laughs> so uh, that means he'll return. He didn't play in the exhibition game last weekend against Sacred Heart. He, needed, he just needed to be cleared. Uh, I guess, by the doctors before he would be back in the lineup. Uh, it would appear as though that happened because he was not listed as one of the guys that could be out this weekend or questionable this weekend. So Ben Brar should be in the lineup. And then with Brown and Greibel both out, it's going to open 
the possibility for uh, defensemen, you know, to, to maybe step up here. And we'll talk about Jeffrey's absence in a minute because that's a big one too. But with with both Brown and Greibel out of the lineup, that leaves uh, the Warriors with just seven defensemen. So, I mean, in theory, all seven of them could dress because you have the extra skater. We don't know what they're going to do from a lineup standpoint, but it's theoretical that all seven defensemen could dress or six of the seven. Uh, regardless, though, with Brown out, and I think Greibel was due for a bigger role uh, with, you know, with Slava Demon gone and some open ice time there, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create opportunities for some other players to step up. I was really impressed with Frank Jervasevic yesterday, uh, yesterday, last week in the exhibition game. Uh, it, it was quiet. You know, it's not like he had like a three-point night or anything like that. And in fact, I don't even think he had a point. Uh, but I thought he played very well. Uh, a couple of shots on goal. I think he led the team with five block shots. So I, I just thought he played well. Didn't look like a freshman. You know, a, a lot of times, especially uh, on, on defense, you, you notice those little mistakes early in the year. Not little mistakes, but little things where like, oh, he's got to get used to that. <laughs> you know, oh, that, that winger's a little stronger in the corner than maybe he's been used to playing at the, at the junior level. Or, or, oh, that guy drove wide and was, you know, able to beat him wide because he didn't expect the pivot to happen that quickly. You know, he'll get used to that. You know, you always see things like that with defensemen early on in the season. But, I mean, he looked like a, he looked like a veteran, quite honestly. Uh, didn't look out of place at all. So I, I would ex- I'm excited to see what he looks like against Arizona State because it is a it's a different level against ASU. We'll talk about their team. Uh, they've got a lot of talented offensive players. Uh, you know they remind me a lot of they remind me a lot of honestly like a almost like a poor man's BU uh, in, in a lot of ways. You know they don't have the the first round talent that BU has, but there's a lot of really good skilled offensive players there who play fast. So it'll be a challenge for this D group this, this weekend, uh, especially with, you know, we knew Brown would be out and he's a big part of what they're going to do. And also having Greibel out, you know, it just, it doesn't leave you room for a lot of error there. Uh, but I think, you know, there's still a lot of returning talent on, in this decor that should be able to do their job, so to speak. Right. I mean, Ivan Zivlak has been, you know, very good as a two way defenseman. So is Liam Dennison. So is Christian Felton. Um, Adam Ardvinson and, and Zach Bookman are, are very good with a puck on their stick, and, they, and they've both come uh, from what Scott Bork was saying over the summer. Both have uh, come a long way in in sharpening up things in in the neutral zone and in the D zone with with their game off the puck. Uh, but and this will be a test for them. And, and then you got the two freshmen, Jervis Savick and Max Watville, who uh, could make their official NCAA debuts this weekend after playing in the exhibition last week. And uh, it's not like I mean, you see some of these schools that open up against. You know, not to disrespect anybody, but lower level competition to kind of get their feet wet. That's not what Merrimack's doing here. You know, Merrimack's jumping right in with Arizona State, who, yes, they were the 40th team in the Parawise last year, but, you know, they really underperformed. And there's a, a hope or, or an expectation, I think, out there that they're going to uh, make a make a big jump this year. You know, and Merrimack kind of doing the same thing as, as some other schools are doing. You know, you BC opened up with Quinnipiac. You know, it's, again, not a... Not, uh, that's not an easy way to start your season. That's a challenging way to start your season uh, with one of the, the top teams in the country. Uh, Providence started with Michigan, you know, so, uh, and then other teams do it, you know, differently. Northeastern opened with Stonehill. <laughs> uh, you know, Maine opened, well, Maine opened with an exhibition and then had RPI, I think, this weekend. Um, UMass Lowell took a trip out to Anchorage, which they split, and that should have been, you know, an easier weekend for them. You, have the, the, you get the travel in there, though. Uh, and, and Vermont you know, opens with a, a pretty tough road trip this weekend at St. Lawrence and Clarkson. So, like, everybody kind of does it differently. Uh, but I think if you were to look at, at the schedules to start the year, the first opponents 
who has the most uh, challenging first opponents in Hockey East outside of exhibitions? Uh, I, I think you got to look at in non-league games because UNH opens with with Boston University, and that that's that's a league game. That's probably the toughest game you could open with. Uh, but I think you know Providence opening at Michigan, Merrimack opening at ASU, Boston College opening at Quinnipiac. I mean, th- those are the ones you look at and go, "Wow, those are those are tough ways to start your year on the road against some teams at all." Should be should be pretty good. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about uh, the other thing with Je- oh, sorry with Jeffries. So we talked about the decor with Jeffries on the lineup. Uh, it, it sounds like Mark Hillier is going to move from the wing back to center, and, and he may take that spot. For the weekend, uh, Mark Hillier has not played a ton of center since he's been here at Merrimack. He's done it a little bit, but he played a lot of center back when he played at St. Andrews. Um, so, I, you know, I, he's done it before, you know, and I don't think they would put him in that position if they didn't think he could handle, you know, that spot. You know, I like the way he's looked on the wing, honestly. Uh, I thought, especially towards the end of last year, uh, it opened him up a little bit with, with the puck and getting him the puck earlier in transition as opposed to being the third guy in the zone. Uh, but, I mean, this is going to be a move back to center for him. At least it's someone who's who's comfortable making those decisions and, and kind of knowing where to be and having experience, having played that position before, will will know the defensive responsibilities. And, you know, he hasn't done it for a while, but he's done it, and he's done it well. They were, Merrimack recruited him as a center. Uh, so I, I think that that's going to be a – uh, that'll that'll be somebody who can can fill in and take those minutes. And the question then becomes: Does he take all of those minutes, or does that line, whatever that line's going to be, because we we haven't seen a lineup yet this year. Last year's exhibition, uh, last week's exhibition game, they had different personnel groups in every period and, and kind of mixed and matched things along a little bit. But we don't know now. Okay, if if the line, if the spot that Hillier is filling in is Jeffrey's spot, if Jeffrey's was there, would that have been a line that gets 22 23 minutes and now instead do some of those minutes get spread out a little bit more and maybe that line gets 20 minutes and the and the other lines each get another minute or does that not line now get 19 minutes and everybody gets a couple more minutes and and the, and the split in terms of time on ice becomes a little more evenly spread that's a possibility so not only is it an opportunity for hillier to move back to center and see what he can do in that spot it's also an opportunity i think for the other three lines on the depth chart to probably get a little bit more time, not a ton. Like you're not going to have a line that goes from you know expected 13 or 14 minutes to 22. It's not that's not going to happen. But everyone, I think, I, I think the way it will be is that those minutes will probably get split up evenly across the four lines. And now instead of uh, of you know the Jeffries line maybe being a little more overloaded with minutes because you want him on the ice more. Uh, the the minutes become a little more evenly spread. So there's going to be opportunities, I think, up and down the lineup for guys to have uh, more more of a chance with the puck on their stick and and see what they can do with that time. Uh, and and it's you know there's still uh, some things to figure out. They've got a lot of freshmen in the lineup that I think have, from what it sounds like, have put themselves in a position to uh, have an opportunity this weekend or next weekend to make their debuts. Uh, they've got a couple of grad transfers. I want to see what they do with some of the grad transfers. Where do they slide in? Uh, you know, I was, I was curious. You know, they, they've got some returners who have really made big steps. I know the coaching staff has uh, really raved about Tyler Young's offseason and preseason, and he scored a goal in the exhibition against Sacred Heart. So, where do, where does he fit in? What does the power play look like, especially with Jeffrey's not there? Uh, you know, because I, I don't know where where Jeffrey's would have ended up on the power play. He's kind of played all over the place. 
You know, he's played the bumper spot on the half wall. He's played the point at times in his career here at Merrimack. Now he's also the center. So is, is he, and he's big, you know, would he have been more of, of a net front guy? Uh, there's, we don't know. You know, I, I don't know what that would have looked like, but now I'm interested to see what it's going to look like without him there. Uh, and and we'll see, of course, as well what other what other guys can step up and take some opportunity and take the most of that opportunity with with what I'm going to guess is going to be increased ice time with Jeffries on in the lineup. Uh, and then as far as the goaltenders go, uh, you'll hear Scott Borick say it too, but uh, Zachary Borgiel and Hugo Olas will split the weekend. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> I think we all knew that was coming. But was what was surprising, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase here. You'll hear Scott Borick talk about it in a few minutes when he joins us. Uh, was the fact that he did say that he talked to both goaltenders at the end of last year and said to them, he's not going to just split them this year. You know, not that they thought that they did anything wrong with that last year, but it was almost like we talked to the two of them and told them, if one of you steps up and takes the job, you'll have the opportunity to take it. And, you know, I I think that that's – good I think that's honestly I think that's what they were doing last year I think that was what the plan was last year and then both of them just played so well you had you had to sit there and say well who do I who do we sit down here like who are we not going to play who's you know it's not that neither one of them stepped up and took the job it's that both of them kind of stepped up and took the job and you couldn't look at one of them in the face and say look you're gonna you're gonna sit for the other guy because they were both playing so well and, and so I don't think that's you know, it was interesting to hear him say it, but I, I don't think that it was, I don't think that that's unique. I don't think that, I don't think that that wasn't the plan last year. It's just that they both played so well, you couldn't take them on a lineup. So I, while the plan may not be to just rotate goalies every week for the, the entirety of the season, if they both play really well, which is what happened last year, it may manifest itself in that way. Because if both goaltenders have a 920 save percentage, and they're both only giving up two and a half or two and a quarter goals per game, it's going to be really hard to look at one of those guys and say, sorry, you're out, right? So I think that if – I think what he's saying there, and if I'm reading between the lines, is that if one of them does step up and take the job, or if one of them struggles and their game goes south, the other guy will be the number one starter. They're not opposed to a number one starter. They're not opposed. They're not completely married to a straight up rotation for the entirety of the season. I, I really think with the goaltenders, it's it's a it's a a big wait and see right now uh, because. And again, I don't think that's unique. I think that was probably their plan last year. Just they both played so well, you weren't going to sit at either of them, and that could very well be the case this year too. But I think, you know, it would be you gotta do what's in the best interest of the group. So yeah, if one of the goaltenders struggles, the other one is probably gonna play more. And that's how it should be. But from what I saw last year, I don't know that either of these guys are really gonna struggle. because, uh, you know, neither one of them did last year, and that was over the long haul. And Hugo Olas didn't as a freshman either. I mean, Olas has played very well. In his two years at Merrimack, he's got a career save percentage in, in NCAA of about 918, and it's over a 39-game sample size, which is a lot of minutes. Zachary Borgil 
had a 919 save percentage last year, 208 goals against. That was in a 20-game sample size. I don't want to go over his career numbers because, you know what, the, the, the freshman numbers, for example, were, weren't great, but that was a COVID year that, where the, the schedule was messed up. That was also a year where they, weren't, they just weren't as good in front of them as they are now. And, and that plays a role in the goaltending numbers too. It, it does. You know, some people will say, no, the save percentage is 100% a goalie stat. No, it's not. It's not. Goals against definitely isn't, but save percentage is, is, isn't either because it's, you know, what type of quality chances are being given up in front of that goaltender? You can look at someone and say they've got a 905 save percentage. Eh, it's not great. A little bit below average. But if they're facing 70% grade A chances, a 905 save percentage is pretty damn good. So it's a matter of how you know what are you giving up from a scoring chance standpoint. In two years ago, in 2020, 2021, when Borgia was a freshman, Merrimack was giving up high quality scoring chances all over the place. <laughs> you know, they, they only won, I think, five games that year. So it, it, it's a different team now than it was then. I think you look at last year, especially where so many of last year's players return. And you could sit there and go, I mean, I think I think the expectation would be that both goaltenders are probably going to have roughly the same numbers they had a year ago because not much has changed. Now, injuries can come into play. You know, obviously it's a long year. If somebody gets banged up, somebody gets hurt, somebody, you know, may, may take over and start two games in a row, four games in a row, whatever the case may be. I do know for this weekend, though, they're going to split them. And that's the right move. That's the right move. Uh, even I, I don't know what preseason has looked like other than the exhibition game. They both looked good in the exhibition game. They were both, you know, essentially the same in the exhibition game. So coming out of that, it's not like I come out of that and go, well, geez, you know, you, you got to start one guy over the other. It's not like one guy gave up one goal on, on 22 shots and the other guy gave up four goals on 18 shots. It, it was essentially the same. And they were essentially the same last year. So uh, to be fair to them, even if they're not married to a rotation, to be fair to them, I think you need to rotate them early in the year and just and just see what happens, and just see what happens. So, uh, all right, let's get to Scott Bork. Uh, we're going to discuss a lot of things in this interview. We're going to talk about the the exhibition game last week against Sacred Heart, which, by the way, Merrimack won in overtime on a goal from Matt Capone. Uh, Ty Tyler Young and David Sacco also had goals in that game for the Warriors. Uh, but Merrimack won that game 3-2 to two in overtime. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about ASU, uh, what they've seen on tape from them. Uh, oh, quickly, ASU, uh, they had an exhibition game last Friday against the University of Arizona club team, which I did watch. Uh, I, I don't think I learned anything about ASU from that game. I don't even think Arizona State learned about anything about themselves from that game. Uh, it was a 16-0 win for Arizona State, but they were playing a club team, not even an NCAA team. So, I mean, it was really, I mean, honest with you, it was kind of a, I, I understand why they do it. They're doing it from for a rival, from a rivalry standpoint. They still want to play that team, but I wonder if that game even continues to happen because that was a disaster. It was 16 nothing. I mean, it's not good for Arizona. It's not good for Arizona State. Like, if I'm Arizona State, if I'm Greg Powers, I'm, i got to be sitting there going, what did, I learn? what did I learn about my team from that game? You know, there's really not much you can take away from it when the other team is just so far below your level and that's no I'm not disparaging the University of Arizona it's just that's facts I mean you're talking about a, a team at the club level which and then a team at the NCAA Division one level it's not even an, an apples to apples comparison it really isn't 
You know, and University of Arizona is a very good club team. But Arizona State might be one of, you know, is in the top half, maybe a top 20 Division One NCAA team. So it, it, it was very hard to kind of take anything away from that game because because the level of competition that they were up against. And again, I, I wonder too, like, is Greg Powers even sitting there going, I don't really, you know, we, we played the game, it was a rivalry game, it was fun, but we didn't really learn anything about your team, about, about our team. And to me, if you're going to play an exhibition game, you want to play it against uh, some sort of competition where you're going to learn something about your team. You know, you're going you're gonna to be able to come away and say, okay, we've got to improve on this, this, and this. Maybe Arizona State came out of that game saying to themselves, we have to, we, we hear some areas where we think we have to improve. But they had the puck the whole time. And I, I barely gave up any shots on goal. So I, I'm not sure they could really take anything away from, from that exhibition game last week. Uh, but we talked to Scott Borg about ASU, what he saw on tape, uh, more so what, what he saw on tape from last year. Uh, obviously, some of the injuries, some of the other storylines about the team heading into week one. So let's get to Merrimack head coach Scott Borick talking Arizona State. The Warriors, by the way, traveled on Wednesday. So uh, this interview was recorded on Thursday after the team had already traveled out to Tempe. All right, here with Merrimack head coach Scott Borick and coach. Uh, before we talk about the exhibition game and we talk about Arizona State, there was one thing that I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I forgot to ask you about when we did our preseason stuff a couple of weeks ago, but it happened on Friday, the ceremony to induct uh, Ron Anderson and, and Richard Peon into the Hall of Fame. Uh, how excited were you to, to see those guys inducted? Obviously, they both meant a lot to the, the history of the Merrimack program. I'm very excited. I, I think it was so well-deserved. Um you know, people forget it. I, I knew Coach Anderson, you know, way, way, way back when I was much younger. And, and, you know, he was the driving force behind that program getting to the Division One level. And, and obviously the players with him. But, you know, he was the leader of it. Um, he did a lot of really good things at Merrimack and important things for Merrimack. So I was really excited to see him uh, get that recognition. And, you know, Richard Pion, I, I only have now met him, but he um, is a guy that all of his, not only his classmates, but people around his time, uh, right when I got to Merrimack, were basically sending me information that they felt he should be included in, on the Hall of Fame wall. And um, I obviously didn't get the chance to see him play, but I look at his numbers and I see how passionate the people are that were played with him. And, you know, it's a great addition to the wall and he'll be a great addition to our Hall of Fame. So I was excited for, for both of them to have that happen. It was great recognition and well-deserved. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I saw some of the photos. I, I wasn't able to get there on Friday, but saw some of the photos. And I know, uh, you know, Richard played for Coach Anderson. So there was a lot of tie-ins there, but you saw how many, how many guys that played for him were, were there and were part of the, or were teammates with Richard Peon were there. It was a big group of guys, which I think says a lot about the connection that, you know, he had with his teammates. Also the connection that Coach Anderson had with those players, whether it's, you know, it's ex- an example through the number of people that showed up for the induction. I think it's an, also an example with the way, uh, you know, his last team at Merrimack rallied around him at the end and, and beat BU in that hockey's quarterfinal when they were the number one team in the country. Like it really goes to show you, I think how much, uh, how much respect the players had for their coach, you know, at that point. No, no question. I think it's such a, uh, it's such an easy thing just to, you know, dismiss certain things and, or, or even people. And, and uh, what, what you really need to do is just look at the connections they had when they were there. And then, then you understand why. And, and I think that Ronnie's why has always been about the guys he was coaching, not about the results, but really about the guys. Uh, and anyone who played for him I, that I've talked to would say that. Um, and being around him and coaching against him and 
uh, being a kid in, you know, around the ranks, uh, you know, I think that you could see that as well. So it was, it was a great turnout for, for both of them. And it, uh, I think it was a pretty special night. Uh, then on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, you guys took a ride down to Sacred Heart, played an exhibition game uh, against the Pioneers. What were your takeaways from that one? I mean, I know you, you were able to play almost everybody, at least everybody that was healthy. Uh, so you got a, a lot of different looks there. But what were some of your takeaways from that game on Saturday? Well, the biggest thing I thought, I, I, I liked our play with the puck. I thought our team played with some confidence with the puck, moved it well. We, we created two-on-ones all over the rink in, in a pretty good fashion. Uh, we were good in the offensive zone, um, you know, but like most teams this time of year, defensively, uh, I thought we were pretty passive. Like we were, we were in spots and our structure wasn't bad, but you know, we need closure, uh, which takes energy. And we didn't show that without the puck. Um, we know we're going to need that moving forward, obviously, but um, it was an exhibition game. The, the beginning of the game looked like it was a shinny hockey game by both teams. And it got a little physical and that changed the game. And that was a good thing for both teams again. And, uh, I thought, you know, our play got better as the game went on without the puck, but there's a lot of work left to be done for sure. Uh, Tyler Young had the first goal of the game. I know you talked about him a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the the work he put in in the offseason and uh, kind of scored a goal right there around the front of the net, just kind of a, a real gritty, hardworking goal. Uh, is that something you'd like to see more of from him? You know, it seems like that type of goal can be where he can be effective, in near the net and just, you know, working hard to get to the puck. For sure. And I think that Tyler, you know, he had a great summer. He really put himself in a good position. Uh, and I expect that he'll have a good year, but the goal was typical Tyler Young. I mean, he's five feet from the goal line and banging it around. And I think that's where he'll score most of his goals, but he can shoot a puck too. So I think, that, you know, he's one of those guys that took his freshman year, learned from it, went into the summer and uh, dialed himself in and he's ready to to pop right now and i'm excited to see it he's in a really good place he's had a really good uh, preseason so i'm excited to see what he brings when he dropped the puck on friday one of the big moves uh was alex jeffrey's play in the middle and and uh, we had talked about that back over the summer that that was a possibility um but him playing the playing that center position it opens things up a little certainly seems like it opened things up for him even more i think he had like nine shots on goal in the game or whatever it was uh what, did. what did you see from him playing the middle and, and what does that kind of do to the rest of your lineup well, number one, what it did for him is is he could explode through the middle of the rank. He had the puck a lot more. He didn't have to rely on other people to get it to him as much, uh, and that was really, really positive. Uh, and so he had the puck on his stick a lot. And, you know, he'll get used to the defensive part of it. He'll get used to playing better without the puck. Uh, but he, you know, he got the puck a ton in the game, and he was really uh, strong, really played strong. Obviously, that splits up. Uh, you know, him and Matt Capone were playing together. I th- uh, think towards the end of last year, uh, and then, it, it, but it gives you some other options too in, in terms of lineup choices and things like that. And one of the things that stood out with Capone, you know, one of the areas that was uh, maybe the on the on the weak side of his game last year. A lot of, he took huge steps last year, but uh, he still seemed to struggle at times on the faceoff dot. And I think on Saturday he went something like fifteen and five or something. So I don't know if that was an area where. He was looking to improve in the offseason, but it seemed like he had a big night there uh, in an area of his game uh, that I'm sure he was looking to improve. Well, you know, first of all, Alex and Maddie together were very good for us, obviously. Um, but having them both play center just makes us a much deeper team. And, um, you know, I think that Maddie 
you know, he very similar to Alex in his way he goes about his business. Is, you know, he's trying to make himself the best player he can and hopefully, you know, play this game at the highest level someday. And uh, he understood, I think, that to be a center, to get a uh, three-situational center for us, meaning, you know, Pete Pallykill, he's going to need to be better to dot. And I think he did do a good job of working at that this fall. And his really like his his game of the dot um, this past weekend was was excellent, and hopefully that's what it is moving forward. Uh, what have, what do you know about Arizona State? I mean, I know they're they've got a lot of transfers, a lot of some hockey's transfers, players you might be familiar with, but uh, obviously not a ton of film on them. They had that one exhibition against the the club team from the University of Arizona, but uh, maybe looking at some film from last year and just having somewhat of a familiarity with some of their players. What are you expecting from them this weekend? I do know that they uh, love to play offense. And I think when you have um, just kind of that many, you know, new faces and, and older faces like we did a year ago, you play with a lot of confidence with the puck. And, you know, obviously it's Arizona. That was a, a mismatch and they had the puck the whole time. But even a year ago um, when maybe they were playing against more competitive teams at their level, you know, they love to stretch the zone. They love to play long. They love to play in the attack. And what you count on on a team like that is that they don't want to transition back. So, you know, rely on our own, you know, defensive systems, play hard through those, get control through those, and then, you know, we'll move down the range offensively, and I think we can hopefully catch them in transition. But transitional offense for them is, is very, very good, and that's something we're going to have to really protect against. Uh, I know you had a couple guys banged up, too, during the exhibition. How are you guys looking at health-wise heading into opening weekend here? Uh, well, we have only what, three guys who aren't with us uh, on the trip. Nikita um, is out. Uh, he's actually the flu or was sick the day we were leaving and just couldn't put him on the plane. Um, you know, Michael Brown is still out. Trevor Gribel, probably uh, very questionable for the weekend. Um, and Alex Jeffries isn't with us either. From um, He's a little nicked up from the week of practice. So, you know, we're a little short-handed in that regard. Alex and, you know, all those guys are important for our future. But in Alex's case, he's obviously a driver for us. And so missing him, um, you know, it's weird. It's it's difficult because I was excited to see it out here. But at the same time, it's going to slide someone else into a spot and give someone else an opportunity. We'll move Mark Hillier back to the middle of the rink uh, to take that ice and hopefully – um, you know, he's up to the task because he hasn't had much time to practice there this, this year because we've had him on the wing all, you know, basically the whole preseason. Uh, but he's played there his whole life, and I'm sure he'll be fine. And I'm excited to see what the guys do with that ice that Alex usually gets. So it will be, a, you know, an interesting weekend to learn a lot about ourselves and learn a lot about our depth. How have you guys kind of handled, I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but as a staff, kind of in how you address the players, how have you guys handled or tried to handle the what what feels like raised expectations? I know we talked about some of the polls and stuff like that, but how do you feel? I mean, it's a veteran group. Do you feel like they've handled what seems like an, an elevated outside expectations? Because I know your internal expectations are always high, but the external expectations maybe from some people, people like me and other people in media and stuff like that. Do you feel like the, the group being uh, an older group has handled that well in the preseason? I do. I really do. I think that, um, you know, two things. Number one, I, you know, we're well aware of the league that we're in and the uh, improvements around our league are, as, you know, this, I do think every year there's an argument, which is the best league. Um, this year, I would say the best players in the country are in our league. 
and that will be an interesting, uh, you know, it'll just be an interesting dynamic. We're going to play some great teams and some great players throughout the year, just in Hockey East. We're aware of that. Um, I think I think our guys have done a good job of, of not shutting the noise off, but not paying much attention to it. And I think that comes from being a little bit more mature this year going into the season, you know, coming off of maybe a little bit of confidence from last year, understanding, having a little bit better feel for what success brings and how success today doesn't dictate success tomorrow. I, I just, I, li- I like the way our guys have approached the preseason and we have a really good group of people in this locker room and I'm, I'm excited for our future, but I do think that uh, the maturity of our team, which was our you know biggest strength a year ago, uh, continues to be our biggest strength this year. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but uh, lastly, is it fair to say that we, we may see the goalie split the weekend too? Uh, yes, we definitely will this weekend. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because going into the first four games here, I think we'll split both weekends um, and then we'll go from there. I, I promised both goalies at the end of the year that I, I wouldn't just rotate them again because that was what we, you know, went did last year. But, you know, we have two good goalies, and they're both going to play. Um, but I wanted to give them the opportunity to compete for the job itself and not just to feel like, okay, we're going to just do this as a tandem again. So the first four games, we'll leave it like it was, and we'll, we'll rotate, not even certain on which order. Um, we usually have gone Zach Borgiel first and Hugo Olar second. Um, I'm going to talk to them about that today and see where they, how they feel about that. Uh, and then after the four games, we'll evaluate, you know, hey, do we have someone who has stepped forward past the other guy right now? And if that's the case, then we'll go in that direction. But if not, we'll we'll figure it out um, as we split. And, you know, we're lucky. And I said this a hundred times last year, if not a million. The biggest strength of our team last year was the relationship between our two goalies. Uh, actually, our whole goalie room, Stephen as well, Stephen Bukowski. Because when you're sitting where he's sitting, um, you know, you get two really big guys in front of you. That's you know, that can get to a point where you're discouraged, um, or you can just find a different way to contribute. And I feel like I feel like he's done that. So, you know, I'm, we're excited about our goaltenders, and I want to give them the chance to compete. And we'll shall we do out here. All right, coach. Well, good luck this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. All right, I want to thank Scott Borg for once again being our guest this week on the Mac Report Podcast. We'll have Coach Borg with us quite a bit over the course of the year, just as we did last year, uh, previewing these weekends as we get more and more into the hockey season. And, of course, the men's basketball season is going to be starting up in about a month or less than a month as well, just a couple of weeks. So we'll have Joe Gallowan uh, at some point here soon to preview that year as well. But thanks again, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Scott Borg for joining us again this week. Uh, again, Merrimack and Arizona State this weekend, 10 p.m. Eastern t- uh, Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Saturday night. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about this series and more. Thanks for listening to the Macroport Podcast. We'll talk to you next week.